0: If you have your Bibles this morning, I pray that you'd join me in Ephesians chapter number 5 Ephesians chapter number 5 This morning I want to preach a message entitled, The Best Marriage Advice in the Bible The Best Marriage Advice in the Bible Ephesians chapter number 5, we're going to begin reading in verse number 28 While you're finding your place there in Ephesians chapter 5, you heard about the elderly couple that uh, was from Chicago they got on an airplane and they flew to Israel and in while they were visiting in the Jerusalem area uh, they went to bed one night in their hotel and uh, the lady passed away she died uh, the gentleman the husband woke up the next morning to find his wife dead in the bed and called the uh, proper officials and and upon calling them uh, they came out and he said now we're from Chicago and I want to get my b- wife's body back to Chicago to which the uh, uh, curator there uh, for the funeral home said, "Well, sir," said, uh, "Here's what you need to know. It's going to cost you an additional five thousand dollars to get your wife from Jerusalem back to Chicago, and uh, we just want to recommend that you just bury her here in the holy city. Just bury her here in Jerusalem. She's not going to know she's with the she's with the Lord. It's not going to matter that much. So you just bury her here, and and uh, don't you worry about a thing." And he thought just a minute. He said, "Well, sir," he said, "I." I hate to tell you this, but you don't seem to understand, uh, said 2,000 years ago, y'all put a man in the grave, and three days later, he came back to life. I'm putting my wife on a plane. We're going home. (laughs) (laughs) Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 28. If you found your place, say amen. All right, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's word? here's what the scripture says we're gonna make this way as application this is a topical sermon this morning so uh, be it may it be applicable to our marriages today uh, the Bible says in verse number 28 so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies he that loveth his wife loveth himself for no man ever yet hated his own flesh but nourisheth it and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones for this call shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. Now let me say something parenthetically before we sit down. One flesh uh, is a thread that runs throughout the length of the Word of God. A married couple, God established marriage between one man and one woman. God established marriage, man and a woman. And all through the Word of God, He talks about them being one flesh. So if you're here today and you're married... Then praise be unto God, the two are one flesh. You may be seated for prayer today. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you'd strengthen and encourage marriages today. Uh, God, the last thing on earth we need is another sermon. So, Lord, I pray that whatever's written down on paper, uh, Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you'd just take that. And, God, you'd let us hear exactly what you have to say on this subject. And, God, uh, I know the best marriage advice anywhere in the world. did doesn't come from an individual, but comes from the Word of God. So Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, you'd use your word to speak truth into our lives today. We love you, and we thank you for what you're going to do today. Change us. I pray that we'd be different leaving than when we came in. We love you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Marriages seem to be in trouble today. I mean, you find folks that are, their marriages. is, man, it's like a roller coaster, up and down and up and down and up and down. And what I have found just in my 20 years of uh, ministry, I have found that people, everybody gets married for one, one specific reason. They want to have a happy, healthy marriage. They want a happy and healthy marriage. The problem is this. There's no plan. They don't have a plan on how to stay healthy and how to be happy. Now, remember, happiness is a choice. You can choose to be happy or you can choose to be a grumpy gut. <laughs> Amen? But the fact of the matter is when it comes to health, if you're going to be healthy, that means you've got to do something. You've got to exercise. Uh, you've got to take your vitamins. You've got to do something in order to stay healthy. You're not going to be healthy if you just lay around and don't take care of your body. Same's true with your marriage. You're not going to have a healthy marriage if you don't take care of it, if you don't take your vitamins, if you don't eat the right meal, if you don't exercise. Uh, If you want a healthy marriage, then you need to make sure that you're right in the center of God's will and feasting on the manna that He has, because there's advice coming at us from every direction. Uh, I heard a story about a marriage one time that husband and wife had a big, big fight, big argument, and the argument ended with the wife packing the husband's bags, packed all his stuff up and threw the luggage out there, uh, uh, out on the uh, front porch, and the man got so huffy and so mad, he walked out and he grabbed his bags and he was walking down the sidewalk. The wife standing in the door frame of the house there pointed her finger at him and said, I hope you die a slow, miserable death, you scumbag. And to which he was and he stopped and he turned around and he said, So do you want me to stay? <laughs> that's a lot of, that's, That describes a lot of marriages. And there's a lot of advice out there today on how to have a healthy marriage. I... In fact, Mark Twain even said this. Mark Twain said, never argue with a stupid person. They'll drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. You've got to be careful with the who, who uh, advice you, you listen to. I heard one person give this p- part of advice. said, remember, you'll always regret what you didn't do rather than what you did. Well, that's true. That's true. But probably some of the most interesting marital advice that I've read uh, came to this form. Listen to some of this marriage advice. A good marriage would be between a blind wife and a deaf husband. Here's another piece of advice. Marriage is a relationship in which one person is always right and the other is the husband. How about this one? Uh, Married life is so easy. It's just like a walk in the park. But the problem is the park is Jurassic Park. (laughs) Here's one. Marriages or Marriage is the bond between a person who never remembers anniversary and another who never forgets them. Here's one. Never laugh at your wife's choices. You were one of them. <laughs> Here, here's the end of that. Never be proud of your choices. Your wife is one of them. Huh. And then here's my favorite. Math after marriage is simple. If you have $20 and your wife has $5... Y'all got it, your wife, then she has $25. Yeah. So that's pretty good marriage advice. But probably some of the best marriage advice that I've ever, ever read is found in the Word of God. And that really is the marriage advice that we need to be listening to. Uh, Because the world will tell you, in order to have a happy marriage, you need to do this. But what's fascinating is when you look and read the Word of God and see what healthy marriages look like, you see that a healthy marriage looks quite opposite of a world. As a matter of fact, the world says in order for you to have a happy marriage, you need to have a 50-50 relationship. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says in order for you to have a healthy marriage, you've got to have a 100%, 100% relationship. You see, your marriage is not a contract. Your marriage is a covenant. And that covenant that you made was between you, your spouse, and God. And see, a contract has escape clauses. But a covenant does not. A covenant is a bond, a promise that you made between you and God to such a capacity that, listen, God is the one that ought to be at the center of your marriage. Uh, yesterday, there. how many of you got up real early and watched that wedding? How many of you did that? Yeah. Bless your heart, sister, too. Everybody else was like, eh, you know, eh, eh. Uh, But I did watch the part, I didn't get up and watch it either, but I did watch that little part of that preacher that was preaching the gospel, my stars, he shook it all the way down to the cob, did he not? I mean, he absolutely preached the gospel at that wedding. It was absolutely incredible and amazing, and he's right on target. And we've got to have Jesus Christ at the center of our marriages if we're going to have healthy, happy marriages. So let me give you, with what time that I have left, as many as I can. I've got five of them. I'm going to try to give you every one of them here this morning very quickly on some of the best advice, marriage advice, in the Bible. Some of the best marriage advice in the Bible. Now, here's the first one. Number one, be a spouse who, deli- who develops a knowledge of the Word of God. Be a spouse who develops a knowledge of the Word of God. We're living in a day where many people believe that only pastors and missionaries can understand the Word of God. Uh, But listen, the the Bible says that as born-again children of God, we all need to study the Word. Every one of us need to be studying the Word of God. Listen to what the Bible says in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. The Bible says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. As a matter of fact, let me get you to take your Bibles and turn over to that passage of Scripture if you would. Find Hosea chapter number 4. Hosea is an Old Testament book where God is talking to the children of Israel. And in talking to the children of Israel, God is very, very upset with them. He's upset with them because they're not reading the Torah. They're not reading the Word of God. And as a result of not reading the word of God, society has gone kaput. Man, I'm here to tell you, I'm, one of the reasons why the American society has gone kaput is because we've taken out the Ten Commandments and we don't know what's right and what's wrong. And let me show you something. Notice what the Bible says here in Hosea chapter number 4. The Bible says in verse number 1, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Because there is no truth, no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land. Now look at verse 2. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood touches blood. Now let me stop right there and say this. What God is saying to the children of Israel is because you've stopped reading the word of God... There's no knowledge of God. There's nothing before your face that tells you what the commandments of God are. And because of this, you're living a life where you're doing nothing but cussing, you're lying, you're killing, you're stealing, you're committing adultery, you're breaking out in brawls, and there's blood that's touching blood. That means just simply this. If you were to get up in Hosea's day and cut on the TV, you would see newscast after newscast, report after report, of murder after murder after murder murder after murder. A couple of years ago, uh, in fact, many years ago, I was at the Institute of Biblical Preaching, the Stephen Olford Institute. I was staying with my dad while I was taking those courses, and he lived in Memphis, Tennessee. And I can remember sitting down on the couch one evening and turning on the television, and no joke, right in a row, there were four murder reports murder after murder after murder after murder. I said, My stars, Dad, I cannot believe how much murder's going on in the city of Memphis. He said, Well, son, We've just become accustomed to it. That just, we didn't even notice there were four in a row. And I thought, my goodness, I'm in Carrollton, Georgia, where there's, I mean, there's nothing up there. I, I just cannot believe it, what I'm seeing. But today, Today you cut on the news report and you still see in the city of Atlanta and in cities that are moving up our way, murder after murder after murder after murder. What's happening? Blood is touching blood. And the scripture was true then and the scripture is true today. When you fail to know what God's word is, society will always degenerate. It'll always go down. Why is our society moving in a southerly direction? Because we're not reading the word of God. And where does the word of God need to be read most of all in the homes we need spouses to develop a knowledge of the Word of God so notice what God says in verse number six he says my people because of this my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God I will also forget thy children. Probably one of the saddest verses in the Word of God is the verse that says, There was a generation that knew not God. I'm here to tell you in this in the shadow of our own steeple, there are children in this area that do not know the laws of God. They don't. I got a report from our children's pastor, Chris Porter. He came to me and he said, Pastor, he said, You're not going to believe this. He said, But I was over at the school and I was able to ask the children questions. He says, I asked them the question, who in the Bible was Jesus' mother? Said, out of 60 kids that I was talking to, only one child raised their hand and knew who Jesus' mother was. Dear friend, I'm here to tell you in the shadow of our own steeple, there are generations out there today that do not know Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you what we need in our marriages today. We need spouses to develop a knowledge of the Word of God. Why? Because the Bible says here that, that God's people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. That word destroyed there means to be cut off. It means to be cut down. It means to fail. It means to be A dummy. To be dumb. God says that His people are dumb and they're being destroyed because of their lack of knowledge of Him. i got a question for you today. Think about this just for a minute. In a marriage, biblical knowledge brings security. Biblical knowledge brings security. When you think about that, and you think about the security that biblical knowledge brings, then that offers to us the question, why in the world are husbands in particular, if they're supposed to be the leaders of the home, why are husbands so biblically dumb? Listen to this very carefully. A couple of days ago, I was sitting in my office. Actually, it was last week. I was sitting in my office before church, and uh, someone came up to me on Wednesday night, and they came in my office, and they said, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, well, sure. Sure. And uh, this individual was uh, uh, planning to be married a little, a little bit later this year. And her, his fiance came in uh, behind him, and uh, he sat on the couch, and she was sitting on the couch there in my office. And he was inquiring of me about a theological position and some theological questions about end times and eschatology. And uh, the future wife kind of spoke up, and she said, Can I just say something right here? And I said, well, sure. She says, I don't know why, but I feel so secure knowing that my future husband is talking about the Bible. I don't understand that. That's kind of strange to me. Why do I feel that way? I'll tell you the reason why she felt that way. Because in a marriage, biblical knowledge brings security. It brings security. So why are your husbands so biblically dumb? I believe there's three reasons why we're biblically dumb. I can speak to husbands like this because it is one. Here we go. Three reasons why husbands are so biblically dumb. I hope you get this. Get it. Now, wives, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you ribbing your husbands, okay? Kapow, kapow, kapow. Don't be doing that, all right? Let's let the Lord do whatever the Lord wants to do in our hearts and and work that way. So here they are. Three biblical reasons why husbands are so biblically dumb. Number one, laziness. Right, there was a you could say amen. When, 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 when I hit one of these and, and, and instead of doing this, just say amen. Okay. So number one, the first one is laziness. Like, I ain't got, bless God, preacher, I gotta go home with him. I ain't gonna say I'm not saying amen right there. Laziness. Laziness in the area of Bible study will increase, listen to this, a place of separation between you and your spouse. Biblical laziness. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 15. Here's the proof text. Proverbs 19, 15. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. According to the Word of God, the Bible says that laziness. Will cause you to fall into a deep sleep And I'm telling you what We're asleep at the wheel when it comes to the Bible And we don't know when to speak up And when to keep silent And just anything and everything goes We've got to not be lazy anymore And get into the word of God Number two A second reason why bi- uh, husbands are so biblically dumb Is because of priorities Priorities Wrong priorities will create Disproportionate marital goals Let me say that one more time. Wrong priorities will create disproportionate marital goals. Gandhi once said, and he was right on the money when he said it actions express priorities. Actions express priorities. That is to say, whatever your action is, whatever motivates you for action, that is your priority. If your priority is the Word of God, then you will be moved into action to be in the Word of God. If fishing is your priority, you will be moved into action to get up and forsake the Word and go straight to fishing. Oh, dear friend, listen, I'm not saying fishing's bad. I love fishing. I enjoy fishing. But I'm telling you, when you get out of the Word of God, you start drifting away from Him now watch this you never drift in a good direction never you never drift in a good direction the only way to be traveling in the right direction is to be intentional and the way that you're intentional in your marriage is to have the right priorities so what are the priorities of a healthy marriage number one the first priority is God Almighty God is the first priority of a healthy marriage now when I say God is the first priority of a healthy marriage what I'm saying is that if you look at a marriage like a house you gotta have a foundation that foundation is God God has got to be the very foundation of your marriage in order for it to be biblical and in order for it to be healthy and in order for that to take place that means that there's got to be an emphasis on the Word of God in your marriage Also, a marriage has walls. It's got walls. Most houses have four walls in particular. And so the fact of the matter is those four walls are communication. If you want to have a healthy marriage, you've got to communicate. You've got to communicate to God this way, and you've got to communicate to your spouse this way. So if you're communicating to God this way right, you'll be communicating with your spouse right. So there's this issue of God being priority number one. Priority number two, family. Family has got to be the second priority. Now, when it comes to family, there is a list of individuals that are underneath that family. You, if you are a husband, then you've got a wife. And some of us have children. Some of us have brothers and sisters, ya, ya, ya. Mothers and fathers, in-laws and out-laws, all the rest of that stuff. But when it comes to this issue of priorities, if God's number one, family's number two, underneath the family category, your spouse has to be number one. Has to be number one in the family category. If your children's number one, there'll be disproportionate goals. If your job's number one, there'll be disproportionate goals. There has to be, the spouse has to be number one in the priority category of the family, which is in the second slot, number three. Here's slot number three. How about your job? How about your job? Put your job in there somewhere, and then you will be seeking uh, a family that has a healthy environment. Luke chapter 12, verse 31, our Lord and Savior said it first, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We need to be seekers of the kingdom of God first and foremost if we're going to have this issue of a wonderful, healthy home. And then let me give you the three, third reason, if I could, why our husbands so biblically dumb. Here's number three, dedication. Dedication. A lack of biblical dedication will always project a life of untruthfulness. Now, let me, let me say that again so in case you're taking notes and you want to write it down and you can think about it and study on it. A lack of biblical dedication will always project a life of untruthfulness. So what are you saying? Uh, Several years ago, I was approached by uh, a couple, and uh, they said, we want to get married, we love each other. And, And by the way, like I said, every marriage has the same thing in common. They all want healthy, happy homes, every one of them, but there's no plan on how to get there. But here in this particular situation, this couple comes to me, and the wife, if you would, the future wife, Grew up in church. I mean the t- from the time she was born until she graduated from college. She was faithful in the church. She grew up in my youth group. I watched her come all the way through. Loved the Lord with all of her heart. Her husband, on the other hand, had just gotten out of jail. <laughs> That'll bless your heart. Why do the good girls like the bad boys? I ain't never figured that out yet. Well, anyways, thanks for being to God he got saved. All right? Praise God for that. Amen? He's a babe in Christ. He gets out of jail. He says, man, I don't want to live that life anymore. I've done slept with all the girls I want to slept with. I've done sowed all the wild oats I want to sow. Now I want a good, godly, virgin girl. Isn't that how it goes? I know it ain't popular preaching, but I'm telling you it's truth. And listen to me, girls. If you're here, young girls, you better listen to what your preacher's telling you. So here they come to me and they say, Preacher, we want to get married. We love each other. So I sit them down and I talk. And the first question I ask is about their quiet time with with their Lord and Savior, with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what does he say? Same thing, man, I hear it. I hear it a lot. I hear it and I'm hesitant to even say it because I'm going to hear it some more. And you may not tell me because I'm going to say it right now. But the bottom line is he sat there and looked at me and said, well, she's more spiritual than I am. She knows more about the Bible than I do. I've only been saved a year and a half. And I looked at him that day and I said, I'm going to tell you something. You need to get in the Word of God And you need to grow a little bit more before you guys get married. I'm telling you, if you don't grow and get on the same page, you're going to have problems in this marriage. I believe God brought you together. I believe God wants you guys to get married. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you want to have a healthy marriage, you, sir, are going to have to step up to the plate and lead the home from a biblical perspective. You're going to have to do it. If you don't do it, the marriage is going to be in danger. Yes, sir, yes, sir, I understand, I understand that. And did you know that whole six weeks while we were counseling? Man, he was on top of it. He was on top of it. But you know what happened the day he got married? He stopped reading his Bible. He stopped with his prayer time. He stopped seeking the Lord and seeking the Lord's face. Did you know within one year I was sitting in that couple's living room and she was contemplating leaving him because his lack of spiritual direction. His spiritual dedication wavered so much so that over the period of one year, one year, she was ready to bail and so was he. Oh, listen to me, dear friend. Listen to me, dads, husbands. Can I just give you a word of advice if I could? From the Word of God, it's so vitally important that you be a spouse that develops a knowledge of the Word of God. Now, I'm not telling you to go get your Ph.D. and be a theologian. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is to get a little bit more effort than you're giving it. I'm telling you, if you want a healthy marriage, if you want a healthy home, don't be lazy. Get your priorities right. Dedicate yourself to the Word of God and watch what God does in your marriage. Number two, here's a second bit of advice I find in the Word of God that I find to be very uh, fascinating for marriage. And that is, be the best at submitting to Scripture. Be the best at submitting to Scripture. 1 Samuel chapter number 3, Beginning in verse number 12. This would be a good one. Let's uh, find that place because this story here in the Word of God in the Old Testament uh, is so vitally uh, important in relationship to this principle. Be the best at submitting to Scripture. 1 Samuel, chapter number 3. We find that uh, the Lord is going to call Samuel here in this particular instance. uh, We see Eli. Everybody knows Eli. And uh, Eli there is ministering in the temple. Uh, we also know that Eli has two sons. You remember those two sons? They are bad dudes. Bad dudes. And so God is going to speak to Eli and tell him to do something with his boys. But watch what Eli does. 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning in verse number 12. The Bible says, In that day I will perform against Eli all the things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him, being Eli, that I will judge his house for uh, even for the iniquity which he knoweth. Because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Why is God going to bring judgment on the house of Eli? Because God told Eli that his boys were acting wickedly in the house of God, and Eli did not do anything about it. The Bible says God spoke to him and said, Your boys are doing wrong. You need to correct them. You need to do what you need to do to get them in line, get them in order. And he he did not do it. Eli did not do what God told him to do. And God said, okay, fine, I'm going to judge your house. What, What does that tell us? It tells us that we need to be the best at submitting to what God tells us to do. When God speaks, you and I are to obey. Delayed obedience is disobedience. No one in your home should be better at submitting to Scripture than you are. If the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, then bless God, don't go to bed angry. Get right with each other. You may have to stay up all night, but do it. It'll be worth it, I promise. Submitting your character to Scripture builds your spouse's trust in you. Did you catch that? When you submit yourself... To the Word of God and the Scriptures from God's Word, it builds inside your marital relationship a trust which is very difficult to be broken. On the other hand, failing to submit to Scripture brings disorder, confusion, and fear. It tramples your spouse and puts a stumbling block in the pathway of oneness. You're not the person I thought you were, I heard it say before. He's not the person I thought he was. He's not the person he said that he was. She's not the person that she said she was. She said she was a Christian. Let me tell you how she acts. Oh, dear friend, listen to me. The reason why our lives don't line up with Scripture is because we don't submit ourselves to the Word of God. When we submit ourselves to the Word of God and let the Word of God speak truth into our hearts and lives, then we can flesh out that truth and live like the Word of God says. I really believe James said it best in James chapter 4 and verse 7 when he said, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How do you get the devil to flee from you? You resist him. But you can only resist him by submitting yourself to God. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Be the best at submitting to Scripture. Number three. Here's the third one very quickly. Be the most comfortable with worshiping at home. Be the most comfortable with worshiping at home. Uh, Do you want to know why people don't worship at church? Because they don't worship at home. If we worship at home, then we will worship at church. Did you know that you were created for worship? Revelation chapter number 4 in verse number 10 says this The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne And worship him that liveth forever and ever And cast their crowns before the throne saying Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power For thou hast created all things And for thy pleasure they are and were created You were created to worship God Now let's just go on record and say this what is worship what worship is not I'm not saying in order to worship God everybody in the house has to raise their hands I'm not saying uh, worshiping God everybody has to stomp their feet or everybody has to clap or everybody has to say amen I'm not saying that at all but bless God I don't know about you but when I think about worshiping God and singing about the worthiness of God and the love of God and the happiness of God and the faithfulness of God and the greatness of God I can't help it smile a little bit. I and mean, I I, I, I at times man I sit there and look out and you know, we've got their hands in their pockets and I, I you're here, you're here, but you are somewhere else. Somewhere, I don't know where you are, but you are out there somewhere. And I pray that God would arrest our hearts to such a capacity that when we worship, we would worship him in spirit and in truth. Man, I tell you, when we worship to that capacity and see that God is moving in our lives with such such love and with such mercy and with such grace, no wonder at some point in the song service someone might just get up and walk to the altar and fall on their face and begin to weep and worship God in spirit and in truth. I think about a couple of things in regards to this worshiping at home. I thought about John chapter 4 verse 23 where the Bible talks about how God is seeking worshipers. Did you know God is seeking worshipers? John 4 23 says this, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God seeks those who are worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. Worshiping the Lord. And if you're going to worship the Lord here it's just a carryover to what you've been doing this week. Number two, God calls us to worship. Psalm chapter 29, verse 2 says this given to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. The Bible is calling us to worship him and to sing praises. Oh, one of the greatest things that thrills my soul is when we're singing together, and this room is filled full of the praises of God's people. But dear friend, not only do we need to sing praises here, we need to sing them at home. We need to be the most comfortable with worshiping at home. And when we worship at home, we'll worship here. Someone might say, well, I don't know. I get bored. That's boring. Worship's boring. You know what I mean? You're boring. I like what A.W. Tozer said. A.W. Tozer said this. If worship bores you, then you're not ready for heaven. Number four. Here's the fourth one. Be the most consistent in your prayer and devotional life. You want to have a happy marriage? You want to have a healthy marriage? Then be the most consistent in your prayer and devotional life. Listen to this statement. Consistency brings intimacy. Consistency brings intimacy. And intimacy with the Lord brings life and truth. Without it, you'll have little fresh understanding on which to guide your family, much less your life. Psalm chapter 40, verse 1, put it this way. The psalmist said, I wait patiently for the Lord. And he inclined his ears, or his ear, to hear my cry. Uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, those that were in the upper room that day, The Bible says these all continued in one accord in prayer and in supplication with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. The Bible says they continued. They were consistent in their praying. They were consistent in their in their Bible reading. They were consistent in their lives when it came to their relationship with Jesus Christ. Could I ask you this question, dear friend? When was the last time it was just you and the Word of God and a pen? And you said, God, I'm going to read the Word and I want you to speak truth into my life. And you were consistent in doing that. If we ever want to grow beyond where we are today, we've got to do hard things and I'm telling you one of the hardest things to do today in this fast and busy world is to take time to spend it in the Word of God be the most consistent in your prayer and devotional life Uh, my wife she didn't know what I was preaching this morning and on the way over here uh, she just uh, uh, spoke up she said Shane she said could I tell you something and I said well yes honey she said "Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to read the Bible to the boys uh, and i got two grown girls, and they're out now. And uh, Alyssa's serving at a, a, a camp in Dahlonega uh, as a counselor. And uh, Holly was getting ready for her um, uh, program last night and has been practicing all week long. And so she hadn't been any of the Bible studies. But my boys, when we gather around the table, I just take the Word of God and open it up and just share with my boys what the Lord spoke to me about that day. And uh, in doing so, Miriam just said, I just can't tell you what it does inside of me to, to think about what God is doing in our boys and in our, in our lives. Now, bless God, our boys aren't perfect. I'm here to tell you, they are not, they're not perfect. They, they mm-hmm, uh, yeah, we're raising boys. But I'm going to tell you what, we can't do it without the help of the Word of God. We need God's Word to speak truth. If we're going to be different than the world, then we've got to do things different than the world. And the difference is the different maker. And the difference maker is the, is the Word of God because it contains that which can, which can change our lives forever. Be the most consistent in your prayer and devotion life. Number five. Here's the fifth one. I'm going to close on this one. Be the quickest in the family to forgive and to ask for forgiveness. Be the quickest to forgive and ask for forgiveness. You want to have a healthy home? then it all revolves around forgiveness. No one should be quicker to forgive than you. Forgiveness, listen to this statement. Forgiveness is the cornerstone of Christianity. Forgiveness is the cornerstone of Christianity. For individuals to reboot their marriage. Maybe your marriage has just kind of been in in despair and man it's just been difficult. It's been hard. It's been man, it just hadn't been going right. And and maybe you need a reboot. You know, when I uh working on the computer last night, uh, the power went out, no the power went out at your house, but man, it, it came a toad strangler over where I live. And man the power went out and there when the computer went down and I had to wait for it to reboot. And then when it rebooted I had to reboot it again for it to load. Uh, the programs that I was working on, there's always a reboot key in order to get your computer to reboot. Did you know there's a reboot key in your marriage? That reboot key is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. And the way that they re- that reboot key works is, first thing you've got to do is you've got to go to God, and you've got to confess that you messed up. You've got to confess that you did something dumb. You didn't do what's right And then that confession, if you would, realigns your relationship with God. And then once you realign that relationship with God, you can, if you will, ask forgiveness of your spouse. And in asking forgiveness with your spouse, what that does is that moves the relationship into a reboot. Forgiveness reboots the relationship and it places it back to ground zero. Back to a fresh start. Colossians tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Luke chapter 17, verse 3 and 4. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching them that he would come and heal his servants. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he it was worthy for all of him to do this. They were asking God for forgiveness. Ephesians 4 31 and 32 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind kind to one another tender hearted towards one another forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, the countless number of times where husbands and wives sat in my office and looked at one another, and the first time ever in their marriage, 10, 12, 15, some even 20 plus years, look at their spouse and say, will you forgive me for doing this or that? And God shows up in such a mighty way and forgiveness sets place and it reboots the relationship and thanks be to God they move forward in harmony and hope I'm telling you what if we want hope in our marriages today we got to be the quickest to forgive many years ago I was talking to a couple actually interviewing couples as a youth pastor many many years ago just asking them they were married uh, 35 40 50 years and I would ask them, how does a marriage last this long? And one dear sweet lady who had been married to a, a, just a gentleman who had been known in the community to be just a roughhouser, I mean, just a really difficult individual, gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And I asked him, I said, how did this marriage make it so long? How did it make it? Uh, how did all these years compile upon one another to where you guys are still married and happy and in love and go out on dates together? And she looked at me, and she just, with tears filling up her eyes, she said, in order for our marriage to last, it took two really good forgivers. Well, I'm telling you what, that's what we need today in a marriage. If we want to have healthy marriages, we need to take the advice of the Word of God. We need to be the quickest to to ask for forgiveness in our family. And we need to be willing to forgive. Jesus Christ forgave us. I think about the day that I got forgiveness uh, from Jesus, March twenty second, 1988. I was a 14-year-old boy, gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And right there on that day, he forgave me of my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins. I didn't become perfect that day, but I did become a recipient of grace. Man, thanks be to God for his salvation. And thanks being to God for 1 John 1, 9, that says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So listen to me, husbands and wives. That fight you had this morning. Oh, no, don't, don't, punch, your, don't punch your spouse. That, wife, that fight you had this morning. God's speaking to you today. He's talking to your marriage. You need to forgive each other. That falling out you had this week. Oh, listen to me, dad. Husband. Mama. That falling out you had this week. God wants you to get restored. He wants you to reboot the relationship. He wants you to get back realigned this way. And get back realigned this way. You see, when that happens, then God begins to do things, not only in the marriage, but in other relationships that you would never expect to do. You'd never expect to happen. Let me give you an illustration. Several years ago, someone shared with me that I needed to get on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. LinkedIn is another one of them social uh, sites that you get plugged into, and I got got me one of them LinkedIn accounts, and I got LinkedIn. Well, immediately I got a response from a fellow um, school uh, went to school with us student. Uh, He sent me a message and said, "Hey Shane, how are you doing?" Now, this guy in high school, we didn't get along, me and this fella, not at all. As a matter of fact, I got to be honest with you. I was quite rude to him, when I was a senior in high school. He was a junior, and seniors were supposed to be leaders. And so, in my leadership style, it, it wasn't as refined as it is today. I I was known on the football field. If you weren't doing right, I'd I'd kick you in the hiney. Now, I don't mean just kick you in the hiney. I mean I'd literally kick you in the hiney. And man, I kicked this kid in the hiney so many times. He threatened to fight me. I was ready. Man, we tried to get in a fight. I mean, I, it just was it was a Look, I just didn't handle myself in the right way. When I saw he was asking how I I was doing, the Holy Spirit of God just began to deal with me. And I wrote him a little message, and I called him by name, and I said, Dear friend, I said, I want to apologize to you. When we were in high school, I was nothing but rude and crude and ugly to you. And when I saw your friend request here, God just burned my heart. And I want to ask you right now, will you please forgive me for being so rude to you? And He wrote back and he said, Jane, he said, I got saved. And he said, I wasn't the same person then as I am today. And he said, thank you for asking for forgiveness. He said, your lifestyle has always been consistent with the Word of God. You don't just read it, you really try to practice it. And he said, Thank you for asking for forgiveness. I do forgive you. Will you please pray for my wife? She's about to give birth. It's our first child. And right there, a relationship not only mended, but also came to the point in our lives where this man now serves on many boards of nonprofit organizations where the gospel is sent all over the world. Boy, it's absolutely amazing. What restoring relationships will do. Here's the thing. A lot of times we want to be bridge burners instead of fence builders. I'm telling you what. If you want a healthy marriage, then you better be a fence mender and not a bridge burner. And In order to do so, we find here in Scripture five areas that we can really do business with with God to make sure that we are healthy in our marriage. Let me give them to you again very quickly. Number one. Be a spouse who develops a knowledge of the Word of God. Number two, be the best at submitting to Scripture. Number three, be the most comfortable with worshiping at home. Number four, be the most consistent in your prayer and devotional life. And number five, be the quickest in the family to forgive and to ask forgiveness. Boy, you want to keep revival going on in your home? Practice these five Principles that come right out of God's word. And watch what God does in your family. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today. and Maybe God's been dealing with you in your marriage. And God has been moving in such a way that God is really wanting your marriage to be right with Him. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to open up the altar here this morning right out of the gate. And if you're here and, dear Father, you're not going to be judged here. This is not where the judgment is. This is where grace is extended. There's some daddies in here that need to reach out there and grab their wife by the hand. and Lead them down to the altar. Reboot the relationship. Get right with God. And then get right with one another. I wonder... We're gonna stand here in just a few moments. Will you listen to God? Will you obey the Lord? Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Dear friend, you can reboot the relationship all you want but until you first get saved, the relationship will never be on solid ground. So if you're here today and you'd like to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, then from your heart to God's heart, why don't you call out to God and say something like this. Why don't you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on the cross for my sin. This morning I ask you to forgive me of my sin. This morning I ask you to save my soul. I believe you are the Messiah. This morning, I trust you to be my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name.